Abundance of love Abundance of grace Nailed to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. God has something to say to you this morning. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Do You Know a Good Deal When You See One? Any bargain hunters out there? Any shoppers out there? Anybody know how to find a good deal? Pray with me, God. Thank you for being a great deal for us. Thank you, God, for the exchange that you've made on our behalf. Father, I pray now that you'd anoint my mouth and my mind to speak, God. I pray that you'd let me say words that would be sound doctrine. Father, I pray you give us ears to hear today what you have to say to us. God, we pray for Brother David, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen his body, comfort him. God, let him know that he is missed and loved. He'll uh, speed his recovery. God, for those who are traveling, Lord, we pray that you bring them back safely. But for now and this time, God, we pray that you would speak to us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know a good deal when you see one? I was so excited about two, maybe three, I don't know. You get my age and days just run together, years, decades run together. Uh, you know, it just it, it happens like that. But it was a couple of years ago. I was so excited because I finally went and Googled something that had been plaguing me for a while. I'd been seeing these four letters put together, and I'm like, that's just not a word. Uh, that, that's not a word. And I was seeing BOGO written on everything. I'd see the big, big signs in storefronts, BOGO. And I'm like, what? And so I finally Googled it. And, and BOGO and all, all, the, all the women in the room, like, how can anybody know? What, what is BOGO? Yeah, y'all. Know, hey, I was excited when I. I'm like, wow. I'm 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 up to date now. I don't know that that's in the Urban Dictionary, but if you want to know the real words, you can find them right there. But Bogo is buy one get one. Now that sounds like a good deal, right? Don't take it to the extreme, though. I, I've had to counsel some couples in financial counseling where where the wife continues to think she's getting good deals and the husband thinks they're going broke. And she thinks that she said, I literally talked to a couple one time. The lady went out and spent $700 of money that they didn't have, and he was upset about it. And she's like, but I saved more than I spent. Everything was on buy one, get two free. I spent $700, but I saved almost $2,000. And me and him are just scratching our head thinking, you didn't save anything. You spent money. Now, they may tell you buy one, get one. Do you know? Let me just economics lesson do you know how people can afford to give you buy one get one because they take the original price and they jack it up that's all that is I I, I buy some of my clothes at a, at a store called Jose Bank and I 
got a salesman in there that I deal with, and I say, Tim, does anybody ever come buy this stuff? Because they have ridiculous sales at Jose Bank. Everything's either 75% off. How can you afford to sell something 75% off? Because they take the original price and they jack it up. And they have suits, buy one, get one, get three free. And I, I ask him, because they have just like khaki pants that you'd expect to pay 30, 40 bucks for a pair of khaki pants, $295. But, you know, if you buy one and get three free, then you, you paid, you know, uh, you know, still a lot of money. So I asked him, anybody ever paid two? Not? He said, every day. Every, see, so what that tells me is a lot of people don't know how to shop. What that tells me is a lot of people don't know a good deal when they see one, but I want you to consider today the, the, the exchange. See, because we used to live in a world of bartering. Around the world, there's still bartering that goes on, and somewhat in America, still today, there is bartering that goes on. Like, you know, I'll give you two chickens uh, for, for that, you know, bag of oranges. I, that, I take that. You have these oranges. They come free off a tree. I need those chickens for lunch. But people would barter stuff, exchange stuff. I'll give you this for that. Now we just trade dollars for stuff, but so we don't even think about it as much anymore because we're not even trading dollars. One of the things Dave Ramsey says, stop using plastic. Dave Ramsey is an, uh, an economic genius that ministers to the body of Christ. I've, I've met Dave Ramsey, sat down with him at his office in Nashville. He's a brilliant mind, got a brilliant financial outlook, and he said if you will stop using plastic and start using cash, you'll quit buying stuff. Because when you have to pull cash out of your pocket and count out $91 and change to eat at Sonny's, Sonny's, yeah, uh, that, that's a whole different ball game. We're not even trading dollars for, for lunch anymore. We're just throwing plastic down. But so a lot of people have lost the art of bartering. A lot of people never had the art of bartering. Some people don't know a good deal when they see, see one. But I see a good deal in Scripture. I see an exchange that God made for his people all throughout the Bible. Listen to this one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I meant to do it, but I forgot to do it. I wanted to clear up some of this verbiage because there's a lot of he and him and him. For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Do you see that? God made Jesus to be sin for us. He has made him. God made Jesus to be sin for us. Jesus is the one who knew no sin. So there's the semicolon. I tell you all the time, pause on the punctuation. Read between the punctuation. Stop and take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it and get it down on the inside. He did this so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God took our sin put it on Jesus, took Jesus' righteousness, and put it on us. That's a good deal. That's a great exchange. That, that, that's, that's something that, that only God could make happen. So this is the great exchange that theologians talk about. We see if you study the Gospels, if you study the story of Jesus where he came to this earth, born as a baby in a cave, uh, grew up, lived a perfect life, died on a cruel Roman cross, was buried, rose from the dead three days later. Here's what happened when he hung on that cross, though. If you study the scripture, there were three hours when the earth went dark. 
There were three hours when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, there was a time where God turned away from the sun because God's eyes, the Bible says, are too pure to look on sin. And Jesus took the sin of the whole world on his physical body. The scripture says he bore our sin in his body. I want you to understand the perfect, spotless, wonderful, beautiful Son of God took every evil that has ever been done, that ever will be done, and he let it be placed on his body. Murder, rape, incest, molestation, rob, just every, every sin that you can think of. Not just other people's sin, but our sin. Not, not, not just our sin, but my sin. I don't get my theology from songs because uh, the Bible is the, the only sure place to get theology from. But sometimes songs make sense theologically. And that verse out of that song that says when he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind is theologically accurate. How could you have been on his mind when you haven't even been born yet? Because he has all knowledge. Because he's God. He, he sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, and the middle on all sides. He knew every person that would ever live in this life. That's why he's told his followers, I don't just pray for you. I pray for those who are coming after you. When he was on the cross that day, you were on his mind. Why? Because your sin was on his body. Do you get that? That's rough. That is rough. He took our bad to give us his good. He took away from us what we shouldn't want to give us what only he could give us. Anybody seeing a good deal yet? He traded his righteousness for our sin. He became sin so we could become righteous. He, he took on the form of a servant so we could become the children of God. He gave his life for our life. Now, there are people in this room who, who would say, I'm not sure about all of them, but some would say, I give my life for Pastor Scott. And I'm like, maybe you would. Uh, and there's some people in this room that I give my life for. Not everybody. Let's just, can we be that honest? I don't know everybody like that, okay? Uh, you know, a lot of preachers are like, I die for all of humanity. Uh, they, they won't even stop to smile and say hello to a homeless person, but they're going to die. Let me preach on this side because y'all not listening to me. Watch preachers, they lie. But there are people who live, there are people in this room who would die for their children. Can we agree with that? They were just straight up, uh, there's a few kids that would die for their parents, but mostly they're just trying to get the keys to the car, amen? And, but there, there are people who love you enough to, to let you have the better end, and they take the short end of the stick. If you don't get anything out of this morning's teaching, I want you to get this. When God traded his son's life for your life, you got the good end of the stick. When Jesus took our punishment so that we could have his righteousness, we got the good end of the stick. Are you following me? This, this is a deal that Walmart can't make for you. This is the greatest exchange that ever happened. Most people look for equitable exchange. Most people, when they try to give Christmas gifts, they, they try to think, well, you know, what did they get us last year? Do you know how, now, see, I don't do this. So I don't mess around with Christmas. That's, to me, you know, I celebrate Christ all year long. You have your traditions. I have mine. I don't mail out Christmas cards. I couldn't find a stamp right now 
if I walked in a post office, okay? I don't have stamps. I don't have envelopes. I don't mail out Christmas cards. If you're in my life, you know I love you. If you're not getting my life, I love you too. But here's how you will end up on the traditional person's Christmas card list. How do you get on their list? Anybody know? Send them a card. Now you have burdened them. Or bless them, depending. And some people love to get a growing Christmas list until it gets to be too many and you got to buy another roll of stamps or book or whatever they come in these days, a postage meter. But you get on there because they sent you a card, now next year and forever you have to send them a card. Or it's not equitable. You, you go try to buy somebody a gift and you say, oh, I don't do it this way, preacher. Well, I know you're special. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about everybody around you. You, you go to a party of some kid, one of your kid's friend's party, and you're like, well, what are we supposed to get this little kid? And, and so I, I ask young people, I, hey, how much is enough? And, you know, kids always lie up because they're smarter than adults in many ways. They're like, you know, about 100. You know, 100 don't buy what it did when you was a kid preacher. You, you know, about, about, about a good 50. Go throw $50 in that envelope. That'll be good when, when really they're thanking God for 20. Amen? But if... You go to some kid's party that you don't know real well. They've never bought you anything. You're kind of, you know, making it up as you go. You're trying to do the best you can, figure out, well, what's reasonable. I mean, you don't want to overgive, right? I mean, you, you go ahead. Go ahead to Deacon Dixon. Wave at everybody, Deacon Dixon. I know what I'm talking. Go to Deacon Dixon's son's birthday party and, and bring $3,000 in cash. <laughs> Now, they're going to keep that, but they're gonna, and, and they're, they're going to spend it, but they're forever going to wonder, and they're going to talk to each other. They've been laying in bed at night. So what about these people? What are they trying to buy my – who gives that kind of money to somebody's child? Now they've got to put the stink eye on you every time they see you and wonder what, what is going – so you've got to figure out. But now if they came to your party and they put $20 in your kid's card, See, I, I, even, I even stopped buying the card because I've been to enough of these things. You know what kids do with those cards, right? They're opening them only for one reason. Oh, not mine. My, my child is an angel. She reads the words. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, now, in my family, we've all still got cards from ever. All right, because we got an issue with throwing away stuff that could have some sentimental value. All right, so my family's a little different that way. But if you if they came to your party, they gave your kid twenty bucks. You go to their party and you give their kid what, or two thousand, depending on what your angle is. So we're looking for equitable trade. We're we're, we're used to making a trade that is somewhat even. If you know everybody that is coming to the, uh, a party is bringing a gift, and you don't bring a gift, and, and you don't care. You're a special kind of somebody. You, you, hey, I think you've graduated to full-level maturity. You're like, hey, they said bring it if you want to. I didn't want to. That's like people that come to uh, potluck. That's like people who come to food and fellowship, and they're, they're like, uh, you know, they said bring a side dish if you want to. Like, I didn't want to. People say, what'd you bring, Pastor Scott? Two hungry sons. What you got? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the graduation. But mostly we're looking for fair trade. We're looking to get the right amount 
for what we are giving back. God did not get the right amount. Not from me. And if you be honest, not from you either. God didn't get a fair trade when he gave his son for our sin. God didn't get a fair trade when he made him to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. I, I, I think a lot about the magnitude of this exchange. He, he gives us everything, and all we give him is what we have. Listen, listen to some of the things. Listen, listen to some of these exchanges. He gives peace for my worry. That's a good deal. He, he gives health for my sickness. That's a good deal. He gives love for my bitterness. Now we're really getting into the into meddling part now. He gives grace for my wrath. He gives freedom for my bondage. I want you to know if you ever really step into this exchange, you're going to be able to say with all the truly saved people in the world, it's a good deal. You're going to be able to say he took less and gave me the best. The Bible talks about this exchange of our life for his, and I want to spend some time talking about this exchange and some of the things that we get, uh, not just that he became sin for us uh, so we could become righteousness, uh, not just that he became separated from God so that we could gain access to God. I, I want to think a little bit deeper on that. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming cursed when he hung on the cross. He is taking less and giving away the better side. It, it, it's kind of like that old song Jerry Lee Lewis used to sing. Um, she got the gold mine and I got the shaft. They split it down the middle and gave her the what? better half and they did not split this deal down the middle we got the gold mine and Jesus got the punishment we got everything and he got very little in return but honestly he got what he wanted he got more children for the father and that's what he was after In Romans five nineteen, the scripture says by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous there's a lot of confusion, even in churches today, about what makes someone right with God. Some people think because you go to church, you're right with God. Some people think because you put money in an offering plate, you're right with God. Some people think because you do good deeds that you're right with God. Now, we're not made right with God by the things that we do. If we're right with God at all, we're made right with God by what Jesus did. Listen to what the Scripture says in Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If you are right with God, hear me well, you do not obtain righteousness by what you do. You obtain righteousness by what you believe. The Bible says that by the keeping of the law, no one will be justified because justification comes by faith. It's a belief system, not a works system. There's nobody that's going to get to heaven and God say, well, let's weigh your good against your bad to see if you're allowed to get in. There was a D. James Kennedy, pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in South Florida, came up with a witnessing strategy called EE, or Evangelism Explosion. It was a great witnessing strategy, and at some point in your conversation, 
with the person you were witnessing to, Dr. Kennedy said, ask them this question. If you stood before God today and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? He said, and then they'll expose to you whether or not they understand the true theology of Christianity. Because if they say, well, because I'm a good person, that's not the right answer. If they say, because mama and them helped build the church downtown, that's not the right answer. If they say, well, because I'm an American, uh, that's not the right answer. If they say, because I did my best, that's not the right answer. If they say, because I believe that your son Jesus Christ died for me on the cross of Calvary so I could have eternal life, that's the right answer. It's a belief thing. It's not a works thing. But I want to continue reminding you we're getting the better end of this exchange because we say salvation is free. Now, free is a misnomer in almost everything in life. Uh, there, there's very few things that are truly free. Do you understand free lunch is not free? Somebody's paying for it. Do you understand free college is not free? Somebody's paying for it. Free food, free phone, free whatever, free rent, free light bill. It's somebody has to pay. And I want you to know, when it comes to making us right with God, salvation came free to us, but it came at a cost to him. And it came at a great cost to him. Let's look back in our text this morning, Isaiah 61, see some things, and we'll get out of here. I want us to see some of the things that God has given us. In verse 1, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, to preach good tidings to the poor. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. In the Old Testament, the prophets are divided up between two primary categories. I'll give you one. You guess the other. Major and major prophets and minor prophets. It's not one. It's not that one prophet was more of note than the other. That's not what categorizes the major from the minor. It's about the volume of the writing. Those who wrote big books like Isaiah were called major prophets. Those who wrote smaller books were called minor prophets. But Isaiah was a prophet. Do we believe that? Okay, and here Isaiah is prophesying about God's anointed one who is Jesus Christ. We, talk, we call Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. This is who Jesus is. A lot of people, when they talk about the anointing, oh, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, receive the anointing. And there's no blow on people to get the anointing. The anointing, not magic dust that falls on you from the ceiling. The anointing, and the Bible says, the Bible tells us in 1 John that we who are born again have the anointing because we have Jesus. The anointing is a person who is Jesus Christ. Now, there's also practical application for that but here Isaiah as a prophet is prophesying these words that Jesus actually went on to say in his lifetime he says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, when Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, it tells a story about Jesus going to church, and he takes the scripture, the scroll, and he reads. 
And it says the place he found to read was in Isaiah, and it's this exact same passage that Jesus read in church in Luke chapter 4. And he stands up and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, wow, that's a real speech. A lot of preachers are just lying. Preachers stand up and say, the power of God is on my life. He, the anointing is strong on that sister. When Jesus said the Spirit of God was on him, that was real. Can we agree with that? There was no debating about that. So Jesus stands up in Luke's gospel in his hometown in the synagogue of Nazareth, and he reads this passage from Isaiah, but he did something unique. He cut it short at the comma. Now, some of y'all wonder why I tell you all the time to pay attention to the punctuation. If you've been around long enough, you'll know it's there for your perfection. It'll help you understand Scripture better or any literary work that you're reading if you pay attention to the punctuation. But not only is that a good idea for us in 2018, Jesus paid attention to the punctuation. Because if you look, and I'm not going to do it for time's sake this morning, go back, go later today, this week, and read Luke chapter 4, and you'll see that Jesus read verse 1, and he read a part of verse 2. Now, if you're going to read the very first part of verse 2, you're going to see that the first piece of punctuation comes at the end after the word Lord, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In Luke's gospel, it said Jesus put the scroll up and sat down. He didn't finish the verse. And theologians will tell you, if you study this out, there's, there's great rationale for why he didn't, because verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 dealt with the first coming of Christ. The second part of this verse deals with the second coming of Christ. So this comma, the earth has been hanging on this comma since Jesus was on this planet 2,000 years ago proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. This comma is a pause in the time frame of humanity. And, and means there's more, the day of vengeance of our God. That's still yet to come. Jesus only dealt with the part of it that he was there to deal with. So he announces that he's here to do certain things. He, he announces that he's here to heal the damage that sin brings. I want us to agree this morning that sin creates damage. Sin creates damage. That we, we live in a world where more people are, are getting divorced than getting married. And, and I will tell you, no matter who it is, I've met very few, if ever anyone, whose marriage failed on only one side. There's always enough blame to go around. There, there's always enough consequence of sin to go around. And, and sin creates damage, and Jesus came to fix the damage. Uh, uh, this, this great damage done by sin can be overcome by the great redemption done at the cross. Sin creates problems. Sin impoverishes. That's why Jesus said he'll preach good news to the poor. Sin creates problems in your life. Sin breaks hearts. That's why Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. See, Jesus is the antidote. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution for all the problems that sin brings. Sin makes captives. Jesus said he came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Because sin oppresses, he comes proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. But sin is a crime that must 
be avenged. And that's why one day he'll come declaring the vengeance of our God. I want everybody to understand this. We're living in a time right now where you can repent if you want to. We're living in a time right now where you can stop doing what you're doing and start doing better if you want to. But there's going to come a day when all that comes to a close. There's going to come a day where the ability to make a change is going to be over. And that day is going to come in one of two ways. Either when you close your eyes in this life and open your eyes in the next life. People are like, well, Pastor, I just want to live how I want to live. And right before I die, I'm going to get right with God. Hmm. Uh, that, that's a horrible mindset because that tells me you think that living wrong with God is better than living right with God, and it's not. But it also tells me that you think you're going to be able to figure out when you're going to die. I talked to Brother David about that car wreck. Dude, in, I mean, one lane going this way, one lane going this way. There should have been no passing going on at all. This dude came out of nowhere at 70 miles an hour. He said the crash happened before I even saw it. It was just bam, out of nowhere. And that could have been his last breath. I don't, I don't do this whole scary thing. I'm, not, I don't, I'm never going to try to scare people into a relationship with Christ. But the reality is none of us know when our last day is going to be. None of us know when that stepping off point is. And even if you never die, if you live till the end of time, the Bible says there's going to come a time where God is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Well, there's no, there, there's no changing your mind at that point, and that's why we need to make sure that we get our situation right with God on the front side of this comma, not on the back side of this comma. The front part of Jesus' ministry, the first coming of Jesus, was to heal brokenhearted, to, to declare the day of the Lord. The next coming of Jesus Christ is going to be to declare the vengeance of the Lord. The Bible says that God's going to pour out his wrath with great vengeance on a Christ rejecting world. I'm glad that I've already met Jesus and I've got my salvation taken care of. Anybody say amen to that? Hallelujah. Lots of things that that we have in this exchange and I, I want us to think about them. Look at, at verse 3. The scripture says to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them Say give. I talk so much about God being a giver because so many people are stingy. So many people won't give their time to someone. So many people won't give a smile away, won't give a hug away, won't give a dollar away, won't, won't give offering to God. And you need to always remember that the root word of miserable is what? Miser. You can't be blessed being, you, you can't be happy being being tight all the time there, there are certain things that we need to understand about the nature of God God is a giver if you want to be like God you need to be a giver too you need to give away forgiveness freely you need to give away love freely you need to give your time to other people you need to to give your heart to anybody that that you can show love to but God is a giver and he says here uh, there's some things that he wants to give us in this exchange see you have to give all of you though first some people have tried to get saved twice three times four times some people have walked the aisle five times keep praying to get saved keep praying to get saved and, and don't ever get saved why because they're not ready they're not real they're, they're, it's not their time uh, there's a lot of different reasons I'll give you what the scripture says the Bible says in Jeremiah 
that you will find God only when you search for him with your whole heart. Only when you see. So getting saved because it seems like a cool thing to do right now, that's not going to find you salvation. Getting saved because you're in trouble with the law, that's not going to find you salvation. You find real salvation, the Bible says, when you search for God with your whole heart. And that's why some people make multiple trips down the aisle. But when you search for God with your whole heart, you have to give all of you to get all of him. This is what salvation is. When you say, God, I give you my life because I want your life. I want to give you all of me so I can have all of you. See, here's the deal. Some people think that God let his son suffer, bleed, die, be stripped naked, beaten, hung on a cross between earth and heaven for everybody to mock and, and, and ridicule so we could come to church on Sunday and Wednesday. God didn't give us his everything so we could be part-time Christians. People who really love you don't want part-time love back. They, if they want to give you all of them, they expect all back. The Bible says we live in a reciprocal world. You reap what you sow. We have to give all of us to God to get all that he has. Some people just aren't ready for that. And I've had people tell me, Pastor Scott, I'm not, not sure I'm ready to give up everything right now. Here's the reality. Take a leap of faith. Make, make that choice by faith because there's some things that you're never going to have the strength to give up until God empowers you. So some people are like, Pastor Scott, I don't know if I could quit this. I don't know if I could quit that. You don't have to quit anything right now except your rejecting of Christ. Embrace Christ. Embrace Christianity. Embrace God's love and the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He'll give you the power to do things you never thought you could do. Let's look at this exchange. Let's see some of the things he says he gives us in this passage of Scripture. He gives us beauty for ashes. Mm, I love that song. There, there, there's a song that sings about beauty for ashes. It's a beautiful song. Uh, I hope you'll listen to it. Get your mind wrapped around some good Christian music. Keep your mind focused in the right area. But this is an exchange. Say exchange. So he gives us beauty because we have what? All right, now, uh, some people are like, yeah, I'm a little ashy around here. Anybody ashy this morning? That's not the kind of ashes he's talking about. He's not talking about your elbows and your knees and your heels. So, so some of y'all just need to quit wearing flip-flops everywhere because the skin's so thick on the back of your heels. <laughs> people have often asked me, and, and, and people violate it now, and, you know, I, I just let so much go now that I never would have in the past. But I had to pass a strict rule against open-toed shoes on, on the stage. Because when we first started 17 years ago last month, uh, there was a lady wouldn't wear shoes on the stage. Wouldn't wear shoes on the stage, told me I couldn't make her wear shoes on the stage. The, the stage is holy. And the Bible said, take off your shoe. The ground you're on is holy. I'm like, the ground the portalette's sitting on is holy too. But you ain't going to walk in there barefooted, are you? Okay, let's just think for a minute. She just was religious. And, the, and, and why did her having bare feet on the stage bother me? I got nothing against bare feet for you. Those of y'all that know me know. I wear socks and shoes everywhere. I got the softest feet you'll ever find. My feet have never touched carpet. Without socks and shoes. If you can walk on the beach in August in Florida with bare feet, you got some rough feet. 
I put on my Jordan slides with socks. I feel the heat coming up through the slide like, these people got some thick. This sister had thick skin on her feet. I'm talking about off that back heel, and she was white. So funny to me, I told you, it's funny to me that they call, that some people call black folk colored. NAACP does. Take it up with them. Ah, that's real. But I've told you all, it's white people that should be called colored because we're the ones that change color. Blush when get uh, embarrassed, you know, turn blue when we die. I mean, it's just it turn red in the sun. It, it just, it's, but she had this, this, this dark red heels covered in thick white rough skin toes that went every direction nails on the front or big toe this thick curling up at the end how am i gonna preach through all that i can't hardly stay on track y'all in here picking wedgies out when you think nobody's watching some of y'all sit on the back row because y'all think nobody's but i'm staring at you think i don't see that so anyway we're not talking about ashy. We're talking about ashes. Okay, now you have to understand. When you're going to read the Bible, the primary long-standing orthodox interpretive method for understanding the Scripture is summed up in this phrase. Understand it as it was written to whom it was written. You first have to understand what did the Scripture mean to the people then before you can say, well, what I think it means to me. Because it doesn't mean something to them and something to you. Whatever it meant to them is the real reason. The Bible says the scriptures of no private interpretation. If you ever get around a bunch of clowns who are having a Bible study and their theory is, well, let's just read this passage and we'll all talk about what it means to me. Well, I understand, brother so-and-so, that you, you to you it means this, but to me it can't mean something to you and something to someone else. The truth of God's word is not subjective. The truth of God's word is concrete. It, it doesn't change. It says it's of no private interpretation. It means one thing to everyone. So what we've got to do, thousands of years later, we've got to look into the text and understand it as it was written, to whom it was written. So the customs that were then create difficulty in our understanding now. Just like if this world goes on for another three, 4,000 years, as far away as we are from Isaiah to, to further in the future, they might not understand what's up. And if they show that old Budweiser commercial that they've remade right now for, for uh, some, some other, what's up? And just screaming, what's up in the phone? It's hilarious on the commercial. But could you imagine people outside of this, this generation or even this country? I can remember being in the Army in the 80s and soldiers would laugh because we had a, a strong military presence in Germany and soldiers would they were blown away because they would ask Germans, what's up? And they'd do like this. It didn't register. Like, what's up? The sun is up? They, it didn't. There are certain phrases that are colloquial. There are certain phrases that uh, attach to certain time frames. And we, if, if they don't understand 4,000 years from now, I don't believe they'll still be here, but if it is, they probably are not going to understand what's up or why you called your friend dog. I mean, and, and, it, and it's, it's constantly changing. 
because it used to be homeboy, but who you calling a boy? Then so it was just homie, and it was ace. Well, it originally was Ace Coon Boone. Y'all not old enough to remember that. You should be old enough to remember that. Was it not Ace Coon Boone? Who you calling a coon? So everything had to just start drifting all the way up to whatever. I don't think it'll ever go from dog to cat because why must I be like that? There's nothing but dog. Different story for a different group of people. But speech is specific to the group of people that it was written to. If you tried to read something that was written in old English to a queen in England, I'll tell you that old lady's been queen over there for 700 years. She's never going to die. Prince Charles has given up. He's like, I'm never going to be king. I will know she's going to outlive me. But if you read something from hundreds of years ago, it would, all of it wouldn't make sense to you because there's just changes in words. And if you want to understand that letter that was written, you have to understand what it meant to the reader. Okay, so ashes. Say ashes. Ashes is specific in this time frame to something that people would put on their heads in time of great distress. They would, now this is wild, man. I mean, I, I, I think America's pretty weird uh, in certain places weirder than others. But could you just imagine, like, hey, man, let's all go over to so-and-so's house after church today. And you get out there, and he's sitting in the middle of his front yard next to a fire, just taking, taking scoops of ashes and throwing them up on his head and, and just continually cover. You'd be like, let's don't stop. I wouldn't stop. God be my witness. I, I was driving through Louisiana with my sons last year and showing them some places where uh, my family lived out in the country on farms. And we saw this lady come out at 4 o'clock in the afternoon with nothing on but a nightgown. And, and she looked all kinds of crazy. We kept driving. They didn't know it at the time. That was my cousin. I wasn't stopping for her. <laughs> I don't mess with crazy. I don't mess with crazy. But this was their custom. This was their custom. They would cover their head with ashes to symbolize difficulty, distress, being upset, being sad, going through. Uh, they wear it. See, we wear it different now. You, you, you can't always tell because people have learned how to fake church. I hate that. I hate that. I can't minister to you if you won't be honest about where you are. And that's why I tell you, don't, don't, don't buy into church cliches. Don't, don't just say stuff without even thinking about it. One, I always tell you, you ought to know it by now. If I say, hi, how are you doing today? The average church person going to say what? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, Pastor God. Always above, never need the head, not the tail. If I was any better, I just don't know what I'd do. I'd just be raptured. Really, because on your Facebook last night, you cussing everybody out, drunk, behind on your bills, hiding your car from the repo man. But when a church person, especially one that's a preacher, asks how you're doing, you want to go in to church speak. See, people think that it's better to lie than to deal with the truth, but the truth's always better than a lie. If someone asks you, how you doing? You say, if you really want to see the real truth of this lived out, go to an old folks home. Go to a senior, list, uh, senior assisted living facility. 
ask somebody about 94. How are you doing today, Miss Maple? Guess what? She's going to tell you. She's not going to tell you I'm blessed and highly. Oh, baby, my, my sciatica knocked in there. What? Yeah. And my gout. You got gout too? I got this ingrown toe. Look at that ingrown toenail for me. Can you fix Baby, I don't look at feet. If someone asks you how you're doing, you ought to be honest with them. They might have your deliverance in hand. Some of y'all heard me tell you the story about one time we had a, a couple, good couple, loved them, they were faithful, uh, serving in ministry. The wife had come for counseling. Uh, the husband had been spending money too much, and they didn't have light money. And she was asking me to pray for them and to give some advice on what she could do. I said, well, you know, tomorrow's man up. I'll see him tomorrow night, and I'll holler at him. So after man up, I called him over, and I'm like, hey, man, let me holler at you. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, Pastor. Blessed. Highly, life is good, man. Oh, how's the family? Oh, it's good. Everything good, man. We're on point. Y'all doing all right? Everything covered? Oh, man, it's good. We're good. It's good. I had his light bill money in my pocket. Cash. Don't try me today. I said they were good church members. <laughs> he would not admit a need to somebody who was there to bring deliverance to his need, okay? If you want to get better, you first got to get honest. Any business school will teach you the first step in solving a problem is identifying the problem. Then you got to take ownership of that problem. Then you got to figure out how to get beyond it. But admitting the problem is the first thing. That's hard in this culture. Back then, you could tell who was stressed out. <laughs> He's sitting on the ground throwing ashes on their head. Okay, they come to church just all ashed up and wearing burlap sacks and ashes on their head. See, you, most people give you some kind of idea about how they're doing on the inside by what they look like from the neck up. People, I, when people tell me, Pastor Scott, whoo, man, you look tired. Well, I don't just look tired. I am tired. People are like, and look, see, church folk are so crazy. I've had so many people come in, you all right? You okay? You don't look like you're feeling too good. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can't help how I look, man. It just is what it is. You, you don't look too great yourself. That's just not the way to start a conversation. But mostly if someone comes into church and their hair is done and their makeup is done and they got a smile on their face, they're at least trying to give forth a semblance that they're doing okay. If they come into church, ain't had a bath in a month, we've had that. If they come into church and uh, got makeup drawn on one eye and nothing over here, you know something, something's not good. Some, some, something is going on. But we perfect the act of fakery in church now, so everybody comes in trying to look good, trying to look okay. This didn't apply back then. These, these people, when they were going through, they would cover their head with ashes but in this passage God said he gives us beauty for ashes they they in times of grief despair they would cover their head with literal ashes 
that, and this passage says God gives us beauty for ashes. Now, it's not talking about physical beauty, although that, that wouldn't be bad either. But it's not talking about physical beauty. It's actually a play on words between two Hebrew words. Most of you know the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. And the, the, these two words, beauty and ashes, are Hebrew words that rhyme. The word, Hebrew word for beauty is fear, and the Hebrew word for ashes is afar. And so it was a play on words of God's giving you something for what you have. They, they sound the same, but they have different meanings. And the Hebrew word here for beauty is talking about an ornamental headdress or a crown that people would put on the head in times of joy. Now, I, I don't see much places for that unless you're eight or under, five or under. If you go to Steak and Shake, you will see people with a crown on their head. They put on a headdress of joy. They put that little sailor cap on their head. Or Burger King, you go to Burger King, you're three years old, you put that crown on. We don't put crowns on our head in this day and age outside Burger King and outside Steak and Shake. But on this day and age, they had specific crowns that they would wear in times of great joy. We don't put ashes on our head when we're mourning. We don't put crowns on our head when we're joyful. But with people that we're honest to, we wear it on our face. We wear it. The weight of that is on your neck. What do you have on your neck right now? Do you have a crown of rejoicing on your neck? Or do you have heaviness on your neck? You need to work into this exchange that God has for you. He will give you beauty for ashes. The second thing he says he'll give you is the oil of joy for mourning. Now, the oil of joy, we, we don't walk around. I mean, it's making a comeback. There are people doing these uh, essential oils now. But that oil was heavily used in this culture. And there was a specific oil called the oil of joy. And it was illegal for anyone to put this oil on them if they were not happy. You couldn't put this on in time of grief. You couldn't put this on. It was only for times of celebration. It was forbidden for people in mourning. So this is good news. Uh, God comes and he tells people, look, I know that you're wearing ashes on your head. I want to put a beautiful crown on your head. I know that you are mourning and you don't even feel like, uh, you, you can access the oil of joy, but I'm going to allow you to have an oil of joy, uh, a sweet fragrance in your life. I'm going to get to the third one and close because this one's going to make more sense for our culture. The third thing the, the scripture says, God gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants us to walk fully in this exchange. He wants you to give up on your life and embrace the life he has for you. He wants you to give up on your sin and take on his righteousness. He wants you to give up your difficult situation for his blessed situation. He wants to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Things in life tend to be cyclical. What goes up must come down. Think the stock market, economy, house values, what, whatever it is, sports teams, uh, whatever it is, go up, go down. Think people have highs, people have lows. But I believe that different things have plagued societies 
over the centuries. Different people in different centuries had different problems to deal with, uh, even in different decades. In America, in the 60s, there, there was a lot of drugs in America in the 60s. A lot, a lot of people, uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll was a huge problem in America in the 60s. Disco was a worse problem in America in the 70s. Uh, you know, people just, crack came along in the 80s and, and, and just wreaked havoc on our country. There's different problems that ha have attacked people in, in, in different time frames. I believe the time that we're living in now, the greatest attack on people that are alive in this country right now, I can't speak to other countries, I'm talking about this country right now, the people that are here, the people that live in this community, the greatest attack is in the mind. The greatest attack is in the mind. We, 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 we don't have to worry about being thrown into the lion's den at the Jacksonville Coliseum and people paying to watch the lions eat the Christians. They don't do that anymore. We don't have to worry about certain things that other generations have had to worry about. That's not the attack that's on us. But I see more people who are burdened in their mind now than ever before. Than ever before. I took my first full-time staff job in ministry in 1982. And I have been watching this, this cycle go. And I've been watching different things come and war against the body of Christ. And I believe wholeheartedly the biggest problem people have right now is in the area of the mind. It, it, there's a spirit of heaviness, depression, sadness, anxiety. And because God is a creator and the devil is an imitator and what God wants to bless, the devil wants to mess. And so the pharmaceutical companies keep coming along inventing new diseases so people won't look to God for a real cure. When I was a kid, other kids act out. There was only one solution for that. It wasn't going to see a doctor. It wasn't getting on some medicine. It wasn't anything to do with, did they drink Coke too much at night or had they had too much sugar? Slap that child. Beat them. What's wrong with that child? Mama don't whoop him. Now, don't whoop him enough. That in my generation, that was that. But then, you know, Dr. Spock came along and said, don't put your hands on them. And so pe people started saying, well, my child, it's my child's not undisciplined. My child's not unruly. My child has ADD. All y'all are special. You got initials on your child. Okay. So ADD. Oh, no. Oh, no. First they called them hyperactive. The, little Johnny's hyperactive. And, you know, grandmama's like, no, Johnny need to be slapped. No, little Johnny's hyperactive. But then that made little Johnny feel bad, so they put letters on it so he didn't have to tell people, I'm hyper. Yeah, you are. So then Johnny became ADD, but that, you know, and so they sold a bunch of medicine for little ADD kids, and that wasn't, you know, then that played out, and they wanted more money, so they're like, let's invent something else. Let's, let's, let's add some numbers and letters to it. Let's call it ADHD. And I'm not saying that these aren't real issues, and if you don't have them, that, you know, whatever, but this is how the progression happens. And then so they go from hyperactive, ADD, ADHD, and then they're like, uh, you know, so that, that girl just, that, that boy just unsociable. No, no, my child's not unsociable. They have social anxiety. Oh, well, sound like we need new medicine for that. Oh, yeah, let's, let's get some new pharmacology on that. Why? Because they're not looking for an answer. They're not trying to cure anything. There's, there's no money in curing stuff. That's why cancer still exists. 
There's no money in curing cancer. There's money in treating cancer. There's no money in curing mental illness. There's money in treating mental illness. There's no money in curing this spirit of heaviness, whether you call it anxiety, social anxiety, depressive, whatever psychological disorder you want to call it. It has run rampant in people's lives in 2018. And lots of good, godly, truly born-again people are dealing with it And if you know anybody that's dealing with it, or if you've ever dealt with it yourself, or if you're going to deal with it at some point in your life, I want you to be armed with the solution. Because the Bible tells me as a pastor that my job is to equip you with the tools that you need to be successful in Christ. See, I'm like the supply sergeant. I hand the tools out to you, and you go out and use them. Well, here's the equipment to battle the spirit of heaviness. It's the garment of praise. God said in all this exchange and all this stuff that he wants to do for us, he wants to give us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Ever been sad? Ever been upset? Ever known anybody sad or upset? Ever felt like your mind was holding on by a thread? Ever known anybody who felt like your mind was holding on by a thread? If you haven't, keep living. It's coming. It's coming. This is a tool that the enemy has been successful with. This is a tool that the enemy knows how to attach to people. This is a tool that the enemy can use to get even God's people off track by just weighing them down, weighing them down. Listen, if somebody asks you how you're doing, you don't have to say blessed and highly favored, but don't go to the other extreme. Well, I'm just holding on, waiting on Jesus. That's not the life God wants for you. God wants you to take that heaviness and exchange it. You can exchange that heaviness. You can exchange that that depression. You can exchange that mental attack. You can exchange that war on your mind, not for drugs, not for lifelong counseling. Do you know what the goal of the therapist is when you come on Tuesday for $385 an hour? Do you know what their goal for you is? To get you back next Tuesday. Their goal is not to help, not to fix you. They ain't got no money in that. They wanted to, well, let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood? Well, no, let's, what was your great-grandparents' childhood like? And they're going to keep you there for 15 years. I, I've got something that don't take 15 years, and it's in this process of exchange, and it's you take what you have, and you say, God, I want to get rid of this. I want to give it to you, and I want to take what you have for me. Now, this thing is is very very well laid out in the scripture, but it's not easy for everyone to access. It, it's something that uh, people don't always grab hold of. They have access to it, but they don't do the right thing with it. The scripture says that he gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, a garment is clothes. Say clothes. I put this jacket on today before I came out. I had to put it on. I could have left it off, but I chose to put it on. I'm going to take it off as soon as I walk out of this room because I'm sweating all the way down to my sock. I'm going to take this jacket off. At some point, if I want to put it on, I could put it back on. See, that's the thing about a garment. You can put it on. You can put it off. You can put it on. You can put it off. If you want to do better in your mind, you can read all the self-help books you want. You go to There's great motivational people out there that can talk to you about that kind of stuff. You can do all those kind of things if you want to, or you can access the exchange that God has for you. 
but you have to put it on. Say, put it on. You can't declare peace in your mind and think that that's going to fix stuff because it doesn't say that's how it works in the Bible. It'd be cool if all you had to do is say, I declare and I decree $100 million for me. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't, no matter what people tell you. If they believed it, they wouldn't be asking for money on TV. The Bible is a practical book, and it gives us things to do practically to fix the issues that are at hand. And whether it's for you or someone you care about, you need to understand this principle of exchange, a garment of praise, or a spirit of heaviness. A garment of praise. Praise is something that you have to put on. Praise is participatory. See, sometimes, some people, they come to church and they, we have praise and worship, which, you know, typically is singing. But if you're standing there staring at the floor, you're not praising God. We, I, I preach series on how to praise God. Go back and listen to them for free on the Internet. There are ways that you can praise God. One of the biggest ways you can praise God is by thanking Him. Letting your mouth give thanks to His name. Hebrews tells us that's what praise is, the fruit of your lips, continually giving thanks to his name. Thank you, Jesus. You need to get a thank you, Jesus spirit. If you get a thank you, Jesus spirit. See, thank you, Jesus, is not just for Sister Leticia. Every good church has, has, has a thank you. Ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. That thank you, Jesus, loud screaming woman. That people are like, it don't take all that. It does. It takes more than that. You want to get your mind right. You want to gather your thoughts. You ever really want to step into your destiny and your purpose and be all that God has called you to be. You have got to cover yourself in thank you, Jesus. See, it's common to hear people say all the wrong things about God. Oh, God. People say that like, oh, God. That's not right. That's not what you should say. But if you want to say something in front of God, say, thank God. See, if you get your mind on what you're thankful for, you won't have time to think about what you're bitter for. If you get your mind on thanking God for everything that's going on, listen, we are more divided now as a nation than I've ever seen this nation in, in, ever in my lifetime. And the media just tries to rip us apart and cause hate and division democrats republicans independents atheists christians muslims white black brown it's just a constant battle of trying to cause hate and separation but the thing that we need is to get our mind right get this heaviness off our mind and the way the bible says it is by putting on the garment of praise does that mean you should sing more to god sure does that mean you should testify more about God? Sure. But the simplest way that the New Testament defines it is the fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name continually. I want you to leave here today thanking God for something. I want you to leave here today with thank you, Jesus, in your mind and on your mouth. I want you to learn to be more thankful. Most of us don't pray enough. When you pray, don't just go down a list of things you want God to do for you. Go down a list of things you're thankful for. Just start telling God all the things and all the people that you're thankful for. And you will find a light-heartedness that comes over you. There's a lifting in praise. There, there's a lifting of your spirit in praise. There's a lifting of heaviness in praise. And this is part of the exchange that you need to tap into 
as a Christian. Jesus paid it all for us. He purchased things for us. And one is a garment of praise. This jacket hangs on a hanger. I got to walk over to it, take it off the hanger, and put it on me if I'm going to wear it. Your garment of praise sitting in a corner is doing you no good. Oh, I used to praise the Lord, Pastor. You're used to, don't help you today. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You need to have praise in your mouth for today. And Jesus said he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to have not just eternal life then, but a great life now. Too many people who are real Christians aren't tuned in to that great life, aren't tuned in to that abundant life, aren't tapped in to that, that spirit of praise. They know too much about that spirit of heaviness. Lots of great messages out there. Preachers preach about praise being your breakthrough and praise is your path. I want to tell you something. As long as it's sitting in the corner, you can know everything you, you want to know about praise. But until you put a garment on, you're not wearing it. He gives you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, this isn't to say what the liars on TV so-called Christian preachers on TV lying, saying, come to Jesus, everything will get better. That's not true. Some things might get worse. Jesus didn't say, I'll fix all your problems in this life. Jesus said, I'll make you one with the Father. Jesus didn't promise big, big, big mansions in this life. He said, uh, my Father's got a mansion and he's got a room for you. You need to get your mind together. You need to trade in your thoughts for his thoughts. You need to actively put on. Well, how do I know, Pastor? How do I know? I'll tell you how to know and we're done. Are you saying thank you, Jesus, about more things than you're complaining about? Is thank you, God, in your mouth more than what you don't like about this, that, and the third? Do you have thank you, God, in your mouth on a continual or do you have what you're upset about in your mouth on a continual? This is just real. This is about self-introspection here. This is it's about self-examination. This is about taking personal responsibility for your own life. Because some of you need to get that spirit of heaviness off. The only way to do it is not by hard work, dedication, and trying. It's by putting on the garment of praise. And when you put on that, thank you, Jesus. When that attitude changes, when you get that attitude of gratitude, you'll find out that you're looking up more than you're looking down. And you're seeing more to be thankful for than you ever saw before. It's about an exchange. I want to exchange all the bad in me for all the good in him. I want to exchange all my difficulty for all his deliverance. I want to exchange all of my problems for all of his provision. But it starts with his garment of praise. Can you be thankful? I hear so many people talk about how horrible America is. Every time I turn on the news, somebody's bashing America. And what a horrible country it is. Mistreating this group of people. Mistreating that group of people. Mistreating the other group of people. I invite them all. Move to Iran. They hang you for all those things. Move to Iraq. Move to Aleppo. See how you like it. Sure, America's got problems, but that's a setup from the enemy to keep you focused on the problems instead of on your praise. 
If you focus on the problems, you're not thanking God for that. And you're just getting a deeper and a heavier spirit of heaviness, and it's weighing you down. God wants you to fly like an eagle. But you can't soar to new heights when you're weighed down. You can't fly in the spirit world when you're carrying all that heaviness on you. Learn to say thank you. Try that this week. Say thank you, God, more than you complain. Say thank you, God, more than you say anything else. People love to hear thank you. It's the right thing to say. Somebody does something nice for you, you say thank you. My question to you in closing is this. Has God ever done anything nice for you? So I believe he did enough on the cross. If he never did another thing, he's done enough for us in Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us a new day, and a fresh start, and an opportunity to be thankful more than be bitter. The choice is yours. I want to see you flying above your situation. I want to see you soaring above this, this life that this, this world is trying to create for us and really be who God purposed us to be when he sent his son to this planet. Let's rise above. Let's rise above hate. Let's, let's, let's rise above division. Let's rise above class structure. Let's rise above racism. Let's, let's rise above petty differences. And let's just be the folk who are thankful that God loves us and gives us another day of life on his planet. Come on, put your hands together. Give God praise. He's a good God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.